Isaiah chapter 6, one of my absolute favorite stories from the Old Testament that I don't think I've preached on. I'm not sure I've preached on it since I've been a lead pastor. Last time I remember preaching on it was 2011. We used this text as a, a theme for our mission trip to Baton Rouge for the 662, our youth ministry. So I am really fired up to get into this with you. Uh, it says in verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I as Isaiah the prophet who is writing this. Um, he said, I saw the Lord high and exalted. We know exalted means lifted up, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. We know Isaiah is actually in the temple as as a priest who's been selected to make the sacrifice for Israel for that year, the sacrifice of atonement. So he's in the Holy of Holies, uh, the most holy place. He says, above him were seraphim, these are a type of angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy. Everybody say holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew with me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Pray with me, church. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this vision, this revelation that you gave Isaiah, which he has passed on to us of what it is like in your presence. God, we thank you that in the New Testament era, we are welcome in your presence. We don't have to go through all the rituals Isaiah did. God, in fact, your presence actually dwells within us. And so, God, as we talk on this idea of, of worship, God, of what worship awakens us to today about ourselves, God, I pray that, that we would see ourselves as you see us. God, that we would see the things that need to be cleaned up, God, but that we would see what you have already done for us, what you have declared about us, what you have done for us, Father God, and we thank you for what you're going to do in our midst today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Isaiah 6, we see this, this very dramatic encounter that someone has in the presence of God. Isaiah was sacrificing for the Israelite people, making this, this one sacrifice. He had to go through this whole year of cleansing rituals in order to go into the temple to do this. A very great honor. It was something that a priest would wait their whole life for. They would look for this opportunity, look forward to this opportunity. Uh, and it was a very, very significant moment for him. So he gets into the Holy of Holies, into God's presence, 
And I don't know what his expectations were, but it seems that they were far exceeded. He wasn't ready for what he was about to experience. Isaiah at this point in time is not exaggerating to say the holiest person on earth. He has done more cleansing rituals, has spent more time, more focus on purifying himself, on being prepared to go in God's presence because the priests knew if they went in God's presence and they did not fulfill all the rituals, all the things that God asked of them, that they would actually die in his presence. Uh, and that, that there was a high value placed on the holiness of God. In fact, that's why it was literally called the holy of holies, the most holy place where God's presence physically dwelt on earth. And yet as he goes in as the most holy person on earth, a person walking in a level of holiness that culturally we probably can't even fathom, generationally we probably can't even begin to fathom all the stuff that he had done to be ready to be in God's presence. And yet as he gets in God's presence, he says, woe is me. He realizes his own unholiness once he actually comes in to the holiness of God, once he actually begins to experience it. Now, what does all this have to do with worship? We're talking about worship, right? Last week, we talked about how worship awakens us to some characteristics of God, that worship awakens me to the goodness of God. Worship awakens me to the greatness of God. Worship awakens me to the nearness of God, and worship awakens me to the holiness of God. What does this experience Isaiah is having have to do with worship? Well, Hebrews chapter 13 tells us this in verse 5. It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God. Everybody say continually. Continually. That means we're not stopping. That means day after day, consistently, we're offering to God a sacrifice of praise. In the Old Testament, they had to actually kill animals. They had to actually offer a, a bull or a sheep. They had to offer uh, a bird, a dove. They had all these different rituals, all these different animals that had to be sacrificed for different things to pay the price for different things, to honor God in different ways. There had to be a sacrifice. Something had to die because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. We don't have to do that because someone already died for us because the perfect lamb, the unblemished lamb, the holy lamb of God died in our place. You guys know this, right? We're, we're, this is family day, right? We don't have guests in the room today. We don't have people who are at church for the first time, right? We got people who understand the word of God. You know that Jesus was the sacrifice for your sins. And yet the author of Hebrews, who, by the way, is writing to priests, He's writing to the, the elite of the Jewish faith who had come to Jesus, who had embraced Jesus after his death and resurrection, said, this really is the Son of God. This really is the Messiah. This is the one we've been talking about and reading about and prophesying about for centuries. This is the one. They embraced Jesus, and then it got hard. Then they hit persecution. Then they got pushback that, well, you're, you're, you're a traitor. You're turning against your people. You're turning your back on the Jewish faith. And so they started to get this pushback. They started to receive this persecution, and they started to question, am I going to go forward with God, or am I going to go back to where I came from? 
And the author of Hebrews writes them to tell them, to remind them, ultimately the, the subtitle of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. He, he takes everything that the Hebrews idolized and looked up to. He talks about Moses and Abraham and angels and all this stuff that they knew about. And he said, yeah, that's good, but Jesus is better. Melchizedek was cool. Jesus is better. He takes all these things and says, Jesus is better. He shows us why Jesus is better, challenging them, reminding them, don't go back to something less than. Don't go back to something foreshadowing because now we have the real thing. Now we have the Messiah. And as he's writing them about this, he talks about something they're very familiar with, sacrifice. These men had offered sacrifice. They had gone into the temple and taken the life of an animal with their hands. They had literally lived this out and done this. And he says, look, that sacrifice was good. It was necessary for a season, but it's not necessary anymore. Now you've got a new sacrifice. Now you've got a new command. You've got a new way that you're called to sacrifice, not by taking the life of an animal because Jesus paid the price. But he says, we're going to give the sacrifice of praise. You ever praise God when it was a sacrifice? Man, you had to push through. It just didn't feel like it. I wasn't feeling it today. Man, I, I, I'm just not in the mood. Jesus, maybe it was just because you were being selfish and in the flesh, or maybe it's because life seemed like it was falling apart. But if you've served Jesus for any length of time, I hope you have offered the sacrifice of praise. I hope you've been at a point where you had to push through and maybe nobody else was worshiping and the energy seemed low in the room and it didn't seem like anybody was really into it. And you said, no, my God is worth it. I'm going to worship him. I don't care if anybody else thinks that I'm weird. I don't care if somebody else isn't into it. It's not about the person next to me. It's about the one I'm worshiping. He says, through Jesus, we can offer the sacrifice of praise. He says, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Do you openly profess his name, church? Are you confident in Christ? Are you bold in him? Well, sacrifice has actually transitioned in the New Testament area to this thing called praise. Now, a lot of times we call it worship, right? We call it city church worship and the worship team. And praise and worship are intimately connected. But biblically, New Testamently, worship is more than music. But praise is specific with your lips, Praise is lifting your voice and opening your mouth and giving him praise. And so he's saying that it's a sacrifice sometimes for us to open our mouth. Man, because there's a heaviness. There's a frustration. There's a discouragement. There's, man, just that mental block. Am I going to open my mouth and praise him? It's a sacrifice. So let's go back to Isaiah. Let's go back to the Old Testament experience that the prophet Isaiah has in the temple, in the presence of God, as he's offering a sacrifice. We know the Old Testament sacrifice is now New Testament praise, right? So what happens when we sacrifice, when we worship? Last week we looked at how we become aware of four things about God. His goodness, his greatness, his nearness, and his holiness. So now I want to show you three things that you'll become aware of about yourself. Three personal characteristics that when you truly worship, not just participate in, you know you can worship or you can do Christian karaoke, you know there's a difference, right? Right? Hey, there's words on a screen, you can sing along to the words and not be worshiping. 
or you can lift your heart to Jesus. There's a difference. The sacrifice of praise is not Christian karaoke, okay? It's not just making yourself feel good because the music has a nice beat and a nice rhythm, and hey, I like this song, so I'm going to sing along. That's not worship. Worship is the recognition that God is greater than I am, that he's worthy, that he sits on the throne, and I'm going to go before him and give him the praise that he's worthy of. So when you actually do that, when you push beyond the Christian karaoke and you actually offer him praise, three things will happen that you become aware of about yourself. We'll see it in the story of Isaiah. The first one is that worship awakens us to our sinfulness. Worship awakens us to our sinfulness. I have probably repented to God more times in worship than in any other scenario. Because it is impossible for me to come into the presence of a holy God, bringing sinfulness with me, bringing bad habits with me, bringing unrepented stuff with me. If I'm truly worshiping and I truly get into his presence, I'm immediately confronted with my own sinfulness. And I got to deal with it. I got to give it to him. Now, you can block that out. You can set that aside. But if you do, the danger is you're going to get to the point where you start to not hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. So the next time you do feel that pull of the Holy Spirit, you need to repent for this. You need to make this thing right. I'm telling you, that's the time to respond. It's not, hey, I'm going to enjoy this song, and I'll get to that later. That's the moment right there where you're at. God, forgive me. God, I'm sorry. God, that's not who I want to be. God, that's not, that's not the life that I want. God, I chose that, and that's not okay. God, please forgive me. And the beauty of the God that we serve is he is forgiving. The beauty of the God that we serve is he invites us into his presence, even with that sinfulness, because he doesn't see our sinfulness. He sees our righteousness because we're coming in the blood of Jesus, and so we're accepted, right? This isn't about you being unworthy to worship. This isn't about you not being good enough. The enemy will lie to you two different ways. He'll lie to you, first of all, and say you're not worthy of worship, so keep your mouth shut. And then if you start to worship, then he'll say, well, just ignore that voice that's telling you to repent. You're okay. And so he's going to try, he's going to try every, there's always a ditch on either side, right? And so we push through because my worship isn't about me. It's about the one I'm worshiping. So, so I don't worship him because I'm good. I worship him because he's good. So you don't have to have it together in order to worship. Forget that lie. Push that lie aside. Rebuke that when it comes to you because it will. He's going to tell you, you're not good enough for this. Who do you, who do you think you're good enough to lift your hands? Man, lifting your hands isn't about how good you are. Lifting your hands is about how good he is. Lifting your voice is about how good he is. Getting on your knee is about how good he is. It's got nothing to do with your goodness. So so set that aside the next time the enemy tries to hold back your worship because that's what he's doing. He doesn't want God to get glorified. He doesn't want God to be praised. So he's going to come at your worship every direction that he can. But once you start pressing in, now he wants to prevent it from impacting you. Now he wants to keep it from changing you. He wants to keep you where you're at. So he's going to tell you just to ignore that voice. Don't. Man, when God begins to speak, when he begins to reveal the sinfulness in your heart, lean into that. Go where God takes you. God, forgive me. God, I'm sorry. Isaiah puts it this way. Remember, the most holy Man in the world, you could do a whole ad campaign, right? Not the most interesting man in the world, the most holy man in the world, right? This was Isaiah at the most holy place. I guess it's weird to call the most holy man in the world in reference to a beer commercial. Uh, But uh, (laughs) thank you. Uh, What does Isaiah say? He says, woe to me. 
I cried. He says, I'm ruined. I'm done. I'm wrecked. I can't be who I used to be. The life that I used to live is dead because I've had a revelation of who God truly is. I thought God was great, and I thought God was mighty, and I thought God was powerful, but I had no clue how splendorous he truly is. Now that I've actually seen him, I am undone. He says, for I am a man of unclean lips. Remember, this is the holiest dude in the world. He says, and I'm from a nation, a people of unclean lips. Why does he bring up his people? What does that have to do with anything, right? Like this is not necessarily the way mostly we repent. Usually we're not going to be like, God, forgive me for my sin and forgive me for America. Like that, that doesn't seem like something we would do. But remember what Isaiah's role is. He is offering a sacrifice for Israel. He's standing in the gap, interceding. That's what a priest literally is. A priest is a person who stands between God and man. He's standing between God and man on behalf of his nation. And so he's aware of his own sinfulness. He's aware of the sinfulness he's bringing in as he represents his country. And he says, I'm ruined. I'm wrecked. I'm done. He says, I'm a I've got these unclean lips. I'm from this nation, these people of unclean lips. And I have seen the king. Have you seen the king? Remember what we said last week. What does worship make us aware of? It awakens us to God's greatness. Man, if you really start to worship, if you really start to press in beyond just singing along with a song, but you actually start to lift your heart and your mind towards heaven, you're going to get a revelation of God's greatness. You're going to see the king. You're going to become aware. Isaiah gets a revelation of God's greatness, and he says, woe to me. Despite the fact that compared to everybody else in Israel, Isaiah was massively holy in this moment. And that Israel, compared to all the surrounding nations, Israel was the holy nation that was set apart. Despite being from the holiest nation and being the holiest person in the holiest nation, Isaiah came into God's presence, and he says, woe to me. It's over. I'm ruined. It's done. See, number one, worship, or we said last week, worship awakens us to God's holiness, right? And so when we're awakened to God's holiness, we're also awakened to our own sinfulness. By the way, communion also does this. We're going to partake in communion today. One of the important reasons why we partake in communion is because we're called to look inward. What's inside of me? To check my heart. So today, let's check our heart. Let's be aware of what's in me that doesn't belong. Number one, worship awakens us to our sinfulness. Number two, worship also awakens us to our righteousness. It also awakens us to our righteousness. It's not all bad news. This isn't all just a boo-hoo message. This isn't a hellfire and brimstone. You guys are horrible, uh, and I'm going on sabbatical, so I'm going to step all over your toes and get out of here, and there's nothing you can do about it, right? That's not really what's happening Isaiah, first of all, is awakened to his sinfulness, but thank God the story doesn't stop there. Let's pick it up, verse 6. He says, then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand. Live, not like it was literally alive, but it was on fire. It's a burning, flaming coal in the hand of the angel. He says, was he, he had taken from, with tongs from the altar. So this was a coal that was, his job was to burn the sacrifice, Right? So what's the new sacrifice? The fruit of the lips. 
It's foreshadowing what's going to come. It's all connected. He says, man, the, he, he took it from the altar, from the sacrifice, and he brings it. And what does he do? He says, with it, he touched my mouth. He burns up his mouth, and he says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. It was a coal from the altar, from the sacrifice that was there to pay the price for the sins. And so symbolically, the angel takes that coal and he says, God's taken away your sin. He doesn't say, no, you're good, Isaiah. He he doesn't correct Isaiah when he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He says, yeah, you are. You're right. You've got a recognition. You've got a revelation of your unholiness. And so he doesn't encourage Isaiah. He doesn't pat him on the back and say, no, you're doing a whole lot better than you think you are. He says, I got good news for you. God's taken away your unholiness. Yes, you've got a revelation of your sinfulness, but it doesn't stop there. God has come. We have come and touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin has been atoned for. So when we're in worship as believers, man, when we're lifting up our voices, our hearts, our minds, our hands to God as believers, we're going to get a revelation of, hey, where we've fallen short. Hey, this thing is, is a little off track. It's not in line with my plan for you. This area of your life needs to be dealt with. You're going to get that conviction. That's what that's called. But you're not going to get condemnation. And there is a big, big difference. Condemnation doesn't come from God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you receive condemnation, if you receive shame, if you receive guilt, that's not God. You see, conviction says, hey, you can do better. I'm calling you to better. Condemnation says you'll never be better. You're worthless. There's a big difference. You've got to learn to discern those two voices because they'll both come at you. Respond to conviction, reject condemnation. So the angel doesn't condemn. He comes, he touches his lips with the coal. He says, your sin is taken care of. Your guilt is atoned for. And so Isaiah goes from a revelation of his sinfulness to now a revelation of his righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness means you're in right standing with God. Right? And so you have righteousness, believer, not because of your own righteousness, your own goodness, but because Jesus' righteousness has been given to you. So right now when God looks at you as a Christian, you are in right standing with him. Doesn't mean he's not aware of your sinfulness. He's not aware of the stuff that's off. That's why his Holy Spirit's in you, convicting you and drawing you to something better. But he sees you as righteous. So when we worship, what do we do? We build our identity. Man, we're strengthening our identity. Sometimes we're going to sing songs that, that, that say, man, I am who you say I am. What is that? That's a recognition of identity that, that I'm not simply a product of my past. I'm not simply a product of my flesh. But, God, you've declared things about me, and I'm choosing to receive the things you've said about me rather than the things my own flesh says about me, rather than the things that, that, that the culture says about me, rather than the things that other people in my life say about me. I'm choosing what you say about me. So Isaiah receives the righteousness of God. He's put in right standing with God. So with his worship awakened him, number one, to his sinfulness, number two, to his righteousness. Thirdly, his worship awakened him to his usefulness. I love the way this story ends. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard this in in a mission context. And man, God's got a purpose for you. God's got a use for you. God's got something for you. Verse 8, it says, then I heard the voice of the Lord. So it's not the angel talking anymore. Now it's God. I heard the voice of the Lord. That's pretty cool you hear an angel and God in the same conversation. I don't know how many people have had that experience. But Isaiah got to hear the angel's voice and then God himself speaks. And God says, whom Shall I send? 
And who will go for us? I love when God speaks in plural, in us, right? The reminder of the Trinity happened at the very beginning. It happens here in Isaiah 6. He says, who will go for us? And Isaiah, who's got a revelation of his sinfulness, but then a revelation of his righteousness. You see him raising his hand like the little kid in first grade, right? I know the answer. He says, here I am. Send me. Send me, I'll go. I believe Lecrae wrote those lyrics, right? He says, I'm, I'm here, send me, I'm ready, God, use me. You need to know you have usefulness. You got a purpose. You've got a mission. You're still breathing, so God's not done with you. And I know it's a holiday weekend. I know it's summertime, and the easy thing to do is to kind of kind of put it in neutral through the summer, right? Kind of put it in cruise control, kind of take the summertime off, and we'll worry about stuff, man, when, when, when the fall gets here. But I believe God's got a purpose for your summer. I believe God's got a use for you and your summer. Those of you, if you're watching from the lake right now, I believe God's got a use for you at that campground. He's got a use for you at that boat dock. God's got a use for you wherever he takes you, wherever he sends you. And worship reminds us that we've got purpose. That yes, I come into God's presence and I get a revelation of my sinfulness. I come into God's presence, I get a revelation of my righteousness. I come into God's presence, I get a revelation of his goodness, his greatness, his nearness, his holiness. But I also get a revelation, he's not done with me. He's got a purpose for me. When's the last time that you wrestled with God's purpose in this season? It could be something as simple as, hey, should I sign up to help out with VBS? Or what am I going to do for DIY serve day? Right? Those are, those are purposes. Those are uses that God has for his people. But I believe he has even bigger purposes for us than that. Maybe it's what ministry to be plugged into. Maybe it's where God wants to take you in your career. Maybe it's something that he wants to do in your family. There's a lost member of your family, and he's going to send you to chase them down and bring them back. Right? God's got a purpose, a usefulness for you. And Isaiah got it right. In worship, in sacrifice, in the throne room of God, as he gets a revelation of who God is, he says, send me, I'll go. Are you willing to go where God sends you? If you are, Ask him, God, where are you sending me? Sometimes that's a physical place. Sometimes that's just a specific scenario, a specific situation he's going to send you into. But the reason why we have Isaiah chapter 6 is because he had this call from God. He wrote the entirety of the book of the Isaiah after this experience in the throne room. After he comes into the temple, God ruined him. He changed his life purpose. He called him not just as a priest anymore, as a prophet. He sent him as a prophet to go proclaim his truth. Everything changed for Isaiah because he came in God's presence, because he brought a sacrifice. He got a revelation of who God was and who he was. Worship awakens us to our sinfulness, our righteousness, and our usefulness. Will you stand and pray with me, church? Father God, as we prepare to go into a period of a little bit more worship. God, I pray that this would not be checking boxes for any of us. God, that this wouldn't just be, hey, this is the, the time of the service where I'm supposed to do this before we go have lunch, before we get out of here, before we enjoy a root beer float or, or whatever our plans are after service. But God, let us seize the opportunity 
to come into the presence of a holy God to experience you afresh and anew. God, we thank you that you awaken us to to these seven things we've talked about in this little mini-series. God, you awaken us to so much more in worship. This isn't uh, an exhaustive list by any means, God. This is just scratching the surface of what you show us, what you reveal to us. But God, we thank you that you still speak. God, that you don't just speak to to the privileged, to the elite. God, you speak to every person your Holy Spirit is living inside of. So Holy Spirit, as we worship today, we ask you to speak loud and clear, to awaken us to things about God that we need to know, that we've forgotten, that we need to experience again, to awaken us to reality about ourselves. Show us where we're at. God, if we need to get right with you as we take communion today, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just convict that we would not turn a deaf ear to your voice. If we have already turned that deaf ear, we ask that you would speak again, God, that you would even open our ears, that we could hear you so we could get right with you, God. If there's anything, any habit, any lifestyle that's not glorifying to you, God, that that isn't part of your plan for us and you've been speaking to us on and we've ignored you, God, forgive us and help us to respond. But God, awaken us also to our righteousness. Awaken us, God, that we don't have to be under condemnation. We don't have to be under guilt and shame because of what you've done for us. You've made us in right standing with you. And so help us to to celebrate that and grab a hold of that identity. God, help us to grab a hold of our purpose, of our mission. God, just as Isaiah was sent from your presence, from the place of sacrifice, of praise, of worship, God, send us. Send us out this week, this summer, God, with a mission to accomplish something great for your glory. Lord, if there's a a person in in our life who needs Jesus, God, I just pray that you put a weight, a heaviness on us, a conviction on us to pray for that person, to, to reach out to that person, to share Jesus with that person. Father God, whatever that mission looks like in our lives, reveal it to us, awaken us to it, and we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen.